Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 of the I Am Anissimus podcast. I am your host, Sammy Robles Jr., also the author of the book by the same name, I Am Anissimus, A Trek Toward Self-Affirmation. Well, in this episode, I'm going to go into an area that I know is sensitive to a lot of people. I did not shy away from sharing my thoughts in the book, particularly and specifically chapter seven of my book. And the heading for that chapter is community. But the title of this episode, episode two, is That House. The reason why it's entitled That House is for those that have read the book, that phrase was repeated by Onesimus in part one, which is the first person narrative where Onesimus is speaking. And any time where he was thinking about where he came from or where he is headed, he referenced it as that house. And I italicized that, that house. We're going to talk about what that means and what was in my thoughts in in repeating that phrase, that house, that house, that house. I want to start by sharing a quote, um, and it actually comes from a documentary that I mentioned to start Chapter 7. It's a 2008 documentary called Lord, Save Us From Your Followers by Dan Merchant. I start off Chapter 7 talking about this documentary because for me, that documentary was a game changer. I am a church planner. I planted a church back in 2009, actually started in 2008. And this documentary was one of those, um, I don't want to, I guess, resources that helped me really think through what I felt God was calling me to do at the time and still calling me to do in my everyday life as a as a pastor of the, of, of the people. Wherever it is that I'm at, I see myself as sent. In that documentary, Dan Merchant goes around the country having conversations with all kinds of people, polarized from, you know, conservative to liberal and everything in between. And it's a very good documentary. I explain a little bit about it in the book. Um, and what I what I mention is what Dan Merchant discovered. And that was that non-Christians basically don't have a problem with Jesus. They actually have a problem with Christians. And in this documentary, I don't mention the book, but I'm going to mention it here in this episode. Um, it comes from an interview that he did with Tony Campolo. And this interview, the parts that he shows in a documentary are amazing. They're awesome. I love them. I reference them all the time. I go back to rehear it because it's that piercing to me. So Tani Campolo is talking and he mentions a quote by St. Augustine and he says these words, the church is a whore and she's my mother. <laughs> Let me say that one more time. The church is a whore and she's my mother. And he mentions this as a balance. You're probably going, what in the world does that mean? And why would this language be used? Well, Tony Campolo goes to explain this, saying that the church is a whore. The church has been the unfaithful bride of Christ. 
it has hoard. It has been unfaithful. It has a lot of wrongdoings in its history. There's a lot of things in Christianity's history that um, is just messed up. And that's that's my words, okay? Just messed up. So the church is a whore. It's been unfaithful. And or but she's my mother, which means I love her. And if it wasn't for the church, and Tony Campolo explains this, I wouldn't know Jesus and I wouldn't have the Bible. So the church is a whore, has a history of whoring and being unfaithful, but she's also my mother. I love her and I wouldn't know Jesus and the Bible if it wasn't for her. Listen, I can't think of a better explanation of trying to tell someone <laughs> the truth of what exists. I think that quote hits it right on the head. And that documentary really just explores that in different facets. And I think that quote not only names a problem, but it also defines the complexity of what it means to be the church, to be a follower of Jesus. And in the book, Onesimus references that house. Now, why do I see a connection between that quote from St. Augustine that Tony Campolo mentions and also that house? Well, that house in the story is where Onesimus is returning to. That's where he comes from. That's where his owner, his master lives. It's Philemon's house. Philemon is what we would call today a Christian. Now, if you heard on episode one and if you read the introduction to my book, you learned that slavery in this time period was legal. So Philemon is, quote unquote, not doing anything wrong legally. But for those of us today that are trying to wrap our heads around, you know, 2,000 years has passed, a lot has changed. We try to wrap our heads around it. It's like, man, that just doesn't make sense. So that house that Onesimus is going back to as a slave is a place that's owned, the owner, Philemon, uh, excuse me, Onesimus's owner is the owner of that house. And in that house, the church meets. There's a group of Jesus followers meeting there. Wow. Uh, th that, that, that's a conversation, ain't it, for today? How is it that a place that houses a follower of Jesus and gathers followers of Jesus be a place that can cause pain to this individual? Even though this individual, Nismus, may have done something wrong, but he does have to return to that house. And the truth is, Philemon has every right to punish him. But this letter that Onesimus has from Paul, even though it doesn't say it clearly, it's implying do the right thing. And if anything, even though it doesn't say it, consider setting him free. Do me this favor. Do this. Make this situation right. Receive him as a brother. In chapter 7, I raised the question, and I didn't try to answer it, but I raised it for the sake of I don't know about you, but I know I feel uncomfortable <laughs> and I have felt uncomfortable, but I wanted I wanted some discomfort to hopefully have a conversation because I raised the question. Why didn't Onesimus find Jesus at Philemon's house? A Christian man, a follower of Jesus who gathers other followers of Jesus. He had to leave that house 
run away, somehow encounter Paul, who's actually in jail, and he finds Jesus there. He finds Jesus, encounters Jesus with a man who introduces Jesus to him while he's locked up. He did not find Jesus at that house. Why? Why did he not find Jesus at that house? So page 49 of the paperback, I do want to read this because I realize this may ruffle a few feathers and maybe upset a few people. That's not my intention. Again, I was just sharing my thoughts. And again, another again, is that I hope that this starts up some critical conversations about the church in the 21st century. So I'm going to read a section on page 49 of the paperback. There are some Christian communities, gatherings, and leaders that are causing pain. There are too many stories of people who do not feel safe at a Christian gathering. We should feel the holy pressure to reassess ourselves and our faith communities. And if we discover we have been failing what it means to follow Jesus, then we should recognize our faults and repent of our ecclesiastical wrongdoings. I wrote that and I'm reading that because that's a huge part of my heart. You may or may not resonate with it, but if anything, I hope we can talk about this because there are too many and 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 I'm intentional here, right? Let, let me let me do some let me break this down. I intentionally put there are some Christian communities because I do not believe that all Christian communities are like this. I do believe, and I'm proud to say that I was part of, a Christian community that aimed to, quote-unquote, do it right and lead with love and kindness. But there are some Christian communities that don't have evidence of that. And listen, I'm a pastor and I'm saying that, and it hurts me to say that. But there is true that there are too many stories of people who don't feel safe because they're going to be judged or criticized. And I'm all for helping people become a better version of themselves, specifically to be closer to what it means to be a follower of Jesus as we learn from the Holy Scriptures and to let God's Holy Spirit transform us from the inside out, aiming to live a holy life that pleases God, a life that is submissive to God and that aims to be obedient to God. Okay, that's part of my theology. Understanding that, it breaks my heart that there are some people that can't even get to that point. I put in there, we should feel the holy pressure. That's another way of saying conviction. Conviction from the Holy Spirit to reassess reassess ourselves and I think that's important we need to look at ourselves I talk about my personal story it's almost like a little section of the book that's a memoir where I had to look at myself in the eyes in a mirror and say who am I what am I doing so that's essential even for communities Christian communities to find the conviction and to respond to that conviction to reassess ourselves and in that reassessment if we find that we have not been the obedient faithful bride of Christ to borrow the quote if we are whoring, then we need to recognize our whoring and repent of what we've done, what we're doing, and aim to make it right moving forward. Faithful. Faithful to the words that are found in the Holy Scriptures. That house, to me, 
is a symbol of naming the problem. It could be any problem. It symbolizes also the hurt. And I try to imagine Onesimus, who didn't find Jesus at this Christian location, but had to run away to find Jesus. And now he's going back to that house. What does it mean to go back to a place that could have been the source of the problem that made you leave in the first place? And that symbolizes hurt. And that has to be tough. But I think it's important to name that house. Name that problem. And pay attention to our feelings. One of those feelings is kindness. And I, I'm going to sound, perhaps this episode sounds like my soapbox. I don't know. <laughs> uh, sometimes when I talk about this, it feels like a soapbox. But I want to talk about kindness for a second. It's not a theme I bring up in the book. But it's very much attached to what I write. It's something I talk about often in in conversations that I'm involved in. But kindness, it's it's a word that is very popular in our culture right now, 21st century context. Um, The secular world is calling for a movement of kindness. And I think that's great. We need kindness. We need to be kind to others. There's too many rude mean, unkind people out there. Kindness is a difference maker. But remember, I'm a pastor. And to me, kindness is theological and it's spiritual. So as much as I appreciate the secular world talking about kindness, I do not believe that they should be the leaders of that conversation. Why? Because the church, capital C, should be the leaders of that conversation and kindness because kindness has been a foundational piece of the Christian movement since it began. Kindness is not and should not be a new thing or a fad. It should be something that has been part of our culture for centuries. And if the secular world is crying out for kindness, then the church The church should say, we messed up. Why haven't we modeled kindness? Why haven't we been responsible for the kindness that should exist in our culture? The world is crying out for kindness. Why hasn't the world felt kindness? Why hasn't the world felt kindness from followers of Jesus? I'm going to call it out. And I hope this is something that you can wrestle with, whether you're listening to this alone or in a group. The church, we have failed in this area, and we need to repent. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, love is kind. That house exists, but we need to remove those symbols of that house. And we need to lessen that and create safe spaces for people to encounter Jesus. Safe places for people to experience the kindness that is taught in the Bible. The kindness that is expected out of a follower of Jesus, the kindness rooted in love that should be found 
in our churches. 